but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Father, what a privilege it is to be able to call you Father. We take that for granted that the Old Testament saints, they didn't understand that, like that Jesus revealed to us that we can come to you as our Father, call you Abba, that through Christ and by your Spirit we are able to do that, that we're able to approach the Holy One. And Father, we we take that for granted. And so I just this morning pause to think and thank you for that. Thank you for these, uh, those who have gone before us who have uh, written in paper what we believe and have, have held fast the truth of what the scripture teach, that you are one perfect God, but yet three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, mysterious yet glorious, um, that we are filled with your spirit, that the Son has purchased our salvation, that you, Father, are our Father. It's just, it's just a mystery, but yet it's so, so glorious for us to worship you as our triune God. And so I thank you that we can do it. I pray as we approach your word now, which teaches of you and it, that is equipping us for every good work, that, that you would one more time this morning uh, just give me the strength. I am the chief sinner, Lord, in this church probably. I, I acknowledge that. Uh, I acknowledge my need for you. I pray that it would be you speaking and not me, for I have nothing to say. I am just a broken man. I fail daily. And I'm needy daily of your grace, and I thank you that you have given it to us in Christ. And so I am confident in his strength and in his power, and that you would fill me, Father, with your spirit so that your church, Lord Jesus, is built up, that your church that you have purchased, this is yours, would be encouraged and challenged and edified and equipped for every good work. So we pray it in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Thanks. You guys have a seat. All right. I hope you all had a great week. I hope you did great tricks or treats and saw the great pumpkin and, or you can call it fall festival or harvest party. It doesn't matter. It's all the devil's holiday anyway. Uh, (laughs) I hope you had fun. We got our fill of candy in our house. Um, We are in the book of Acts chapter 8. And if you're reading ahead, next week we'll be in chapter 9. We're going to do verses 1 through 31. So I'd encourage you to go read that great text. It's the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. So be ready for that next week. But this week, we get another great narrative, Acts chapter 8. We're going to cover 26 to the end of the chapter. And this is one of those great narratives that you could take really in so many directions. I mean, you you want to talk about baptism, you you could talk about how to interpret the Old Testament, talk about the suffering servant, you could talk about angels, you could go in all these different directions. But when you look at the text as a whole, when you look at where this fits in the book of Acts and in this, in the whole 
narrative of the Bible, what you realize as you take a step back is you see that, that this chapter is just fulfilling what God has already said in Acts 1, that he would send his, his disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we saw Samaria and Judea last week. We're getting the ends of the earth today. That's what we're getting. And that's what God has been doing all the way since back in Genesis chapter 3 where man sinned and, and, and the curse of sin fell on creation, that God has been redeeming and rescuing and pointing people to his hope. And now, as the church in these last days, he is, for some glorious and mysterious reason, he is inviting us in to be part of what he is doing. And it's not that you can change anybody's mind or you can convince anybody. You cannot save anybody, but you are his witness. Empowered by his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, God the Spirit dwells in his church. And he is now saying, I am sending you to be my witnesses. And we get to be a part of that. We get to water a little bit. We get to sow a little bit. And then we stand back and we watch God bring growth. And that's what he's doing. And it's real easy in the church to say, well, you know, Bill, I'm just, I'm just not qualified for that. I can't do that. You know, I just got this past, or I don't know what I'm doing. I'm underqualified, right? We'll just leave that to the professionals. We'll just, you and William and the elders and the staff, you guys do that. See, there's a problem with that. That's not how the church is designed. There is no underqualified in the church. In my house, yes, all right? If my wife says, I want you to put in this and do that and do that, I, if it doesn't involve duct, duct tape and a hammer, I'm out. You want new floors? Not qualified. You want new windows? Not qualified. You want me to build a birdhouse? I'm not going to do that to a bird. <laughs> underqualified. But in the church, there is no underqualified. Because what we have seen is that God delights to use those who are underqualified to go against reason, to go against what, what everyone thinks. So you got James and John and Peter, a bunch of fishermen. And, and the religious leaders are like, who are these guys that have such power and authority? We're going to see next week the guy that was most likely to not be a Christian becomes a Christian. All right. The guy that was voted in high school most likely to never write any New Testament is going to, next week is going to write, we're going to see him write the majority of the books in the New Testament because that's what God, that's some of y'all stories. That's mine. I mean, I'm average intelligence guy. That's being generous. I'm PE major. And most of you don't know this. When I was in college, I was terrified of public speaking, terrified. I mean, I, to, the thought of getting in front of 10 of my classmates at the Citadel and having to teach them a lesson as practice, it terrified me. But God delights in using those who are underqualified. Why? Because then he gets the glory, not you. Because he gets the glory. And so the underqualified argument doesn't work. So if you're here this morning and you feel inadequate and you feel like, who am I? Who am I? I mean, you, know, you don't know what I've done. Then this is a text for you. And if you feel like you're overqualified, then this is a text to remind you, all right, that it's not about your qualifications, your smartness, where you've been, what you've done, what church you've been part of. It's nothing to do with those that God uses, right? So what does he use? Let's look and jump in the text, all right, because this is going to show us. Let me read our text in its entirety, because y'all, this is a big part for us. God has given you a place of influence. He's made you a doctor. He's given you a business. He's put you in that apartment complex. He's put you on that campus. He's given you those 20 kids that you're teaching. He's given you those soldiers, right? He's given you that place so that you will represent him. 
It may be for a season, it may be for a long time, maybe for the rest of your life, but he has put you there and he wants you to shine his light and his love there. All of us, it's, it's a huge piece of what we're doing. So let's look at the text and we'll jump in. Verse 26, now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to him some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And he passed through, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So it starts off, let me get my slide here, Woo, there we go. The angel shows up to Philip. Now, Philip, you remember, we've been looking at him the last couple of weeks. In chapter six, he was kind of a nobody, and he kind of shows up on the scene, and now he's serving tables, and he's one of the lead kind of deacon-like guys in the church. She so goes from a don't know who he is to kind of a deacon-like character. Last week we saw as the church gets spread out, he goes to Samaria and he's doing some big miracles and doing some powerful things. God is using him, okay? So he goes from kind of a nobody that no one knows to kind of a bigwig in the early church pretty quickly, all right? And he's got this great ministry going on and an angel shows up and says, go to the south. Now, I love how Luke just makes it like an everyday thing that angels just show up. Well, the angel showed up and said, like, no questions, right? Okay, Never had an angel show up that I know of, but the New Testament does teach this, that, that angels, Hebrews 1, are ministering spirits that are sent for the sake of those who inherit salvation. They got, the angels are just ministers, they're servants of God, for who? For the church, right? And he, later on in Hebrews says, you, you better be hospitable because some of you have actually had angels staying at your house, right? So he says, be hospitable because you didn't know it. So look to your right and look to your left real quick, all right? You might be sitting next to an angel. You're like, no way, I know this cat. You know an angel. <laughs> All right, okay, I get that. Never seen an angel, but you wouldn't know if you did. You wouldn't know it. It might have been that guy that helped you on I-16 to change your tire one time. It might have been a guy in the airport that said, hey, your, your plane's over there, you need to hurry. You have no clue, but God sends angels for his elect to take care of them. Maybe you never see one in your life, maybe you do. We won't know, but one shows up here and says, go south. Go south. And here's where he tells him. He says, I want you to go from where you're at. He's up here somewhere in Samaria. And there's a road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it's much like I-16. There ain't nothing there. There's a Zaxby's and Georgia Southern. And then that's it. All right? That's the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay? It's I-16. Luke says it's a desert place. 
What does he do? He goes. And look at his response. Angel shows up, go to Gaza. He rose and went. Isn't that profound? I mean, because if that's me, I can give you a thousand reasons why I'm not going to Gaza. God, I have great ministry here. Look at all these new Christians. Look what I'm doing. I'm healing people. I'm, I'm doing all these great things. That's a long way away. That's a hot road. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. You haven't even told me. You don't tell me why I'm supposed to go. You don't tell me what I'm supposed to do down there. You just say, get on the road. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of uncertainty, God. Here's what I have to understand, though. Sometimes in the Christian life, God tells you to do something. He gives you great clarity, but he doesn't give you certainty of what's going to happen. He just says, get on the road. And I'll let you know when you get there. And understand this. He purposely sends Philip where? To the desert. To a lonely place. To a hot place. To a place you don't want to be. And he's right in the middle of God's will. There's absolute clarity there. But sometimes God sends you in a desert place where you are dry and hot and tired because he wants you to trust him. And that's what goes on here. But here's the first thing this morning for us as witnesses. It's not your IQ. It's not your past. It's not how great you are. That qualifies you. What is it? Very simple. It's, it's when there's clarity, there's just simple obedience. He went to Gaza. I'm not trying to be over simplistic, but it kind of is, y'all. It, it kind of is. This illustration would have worked so much better if the Royals would have won the World Series, but I'm going with it anyway. The thing about the Kansas City Royals that everyone was amazed with was they were a bunch of nobodies. Some of you were like, Kansas City Royals, who are they? Exactly. They were in the World Series. They took them to game seven. And there's not anybody on the team that anybody knows. In fact, they were, did you realize that they were the last, they were, they, they were the last team in home runs in all the Major League Baseball this year? They had the least home runs of any other team. But they made it to the World Series. Why? Because they played good defense, because they threw strikes, because they stole bases because they got the bunt down. They did the simple things well, and they were this close. They were one run and a Baptist from Hickory, North Carolina, Bumgarner away from the World Series, all right? I love the guy. He's a great pitcher, but that's how close. It's the San Antonio Spurs, a bunch of 80-year-olds playing basketball, and, they, and they, win the, they win the the title. They just do the simple things. It's not complex. Christians love to make it complex. Well, we need to do the deeper things and know about how many angels can stand at the head of a pin. It's not about those things. <laughs> if God is God and he has been clear, then we just follow what he says. That's Philip. He's like, oh, Philip's a, he's a super Christian. He's a baby Christian. He's only been saved like two months. They're all new Christians. The church is three months old. So it's not like he's been mega Christian, been to seminary or all these things. He just is doing, angel says go. He says, that road, that road, go. Okay. It's not easy, but it is simple. All right? And, and so when there's clarity, you respond. Teenagers, it, God is very clear. You were to honor your parents. You were to, you were to obey your parents. Not to give them lip, not to complain, not to be all grumpy, not to be ungrateful. You're to honor them. Right? It's very simple. It's very clear. Right? So, so we do it. Some of you in relationships, singles, you know you're in a relationship that's just not healthy. Your parents have told you. Your roommate's telling you. 
You know it. But he's cute and he has a job. Those aren't biblical qualifications. A job is, but cute has nothing to do with it. Okay? You know, it's clear. Some of you covered over in debt and, and you just keep getting a new credit card, a new, and you, you know, it's clear. You feel enslaved, right? It's clear. Some of you, the way that you speak to other people or about other people, whether it's your spouse or your parents or your job, you know it's, it's hurtful. It's hurtful. It's clear, right? You're, you're, you're not an encourager. You're a gossip. You're a slanderer. All of us in this point, right? It's clear. Here's a hard one we don't talk about in church. Some of your eating habits stink. They do. Your doctors told you. Your, your spouse has told you. Your closet is telling you. You're not taking care of the temple of the Holy Spirit and God has given you, right? It, it, it's, it's an issue, okay? It's not that funny, but <laughs> right? Some of you came from another church, and we are glad you're here, but some of the relationships that you, you, you set a little bit of too many fires when you left, and you need to go back and maybe say, I didn't do this well. I'm sorry. I was harmful. It's clear. Not always certainty in these things, but there is clarity. And so, so what we do when, when Jesus speaks, when his word is clear, I'm not talking about gray areas or they're this and they're that. I'm talking about when God is clear, we do what he says. It's very simple. That's what he does. He rose and went. Has nothing to do with qualifications, smartness, gifts. He just rose and went. There it is. And when he does, what happens? And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He runs into a dude. This dude is far from home. This is, this is Jerusalem. He is from down here. Okay, it's modern-day Sudan. He has taken over 1,000 miles to come to Jerusalem. It says a couple things about him. He's a eunuch, which means he's castrated. All right? Let's just own it. That's not a good thing for him. It's, he, is, um, he is in charge of the, the money of the queen of the Ethiopians. The name Candace is not, a, it's not a name, it's a title. It's like Pharaoh, Caesar, okay? She is the queen, and it's more, very likely that she was the ruler because the Pharaoh was seen as a god, and he was too godlike to be dealing with like the city matters, and so he was off being worshiped, and usually the queen would rule the show. So he is the main CEFO of the leader of this nation. She's got bank, which means he's got bank, which is, explains why he's able to go away for about a year, because it's going to take four or five months to get there. He's going to hang out for a little bit. He's going to come four or five months back. So he has the freedom to do that because he's a big wig. And here's the most interesting thing is that he is a worshiper of Yahweh. Somehow, he has come to know the God of Israel, and he is in Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where the temple is, and that's where the, the sacrifices are taking place. So he goes there. Maybe if you go a couple hundred years earlier, Solomon, the queen of Sheba, comes to town, and she sees him and how great his God is and goes back. Maybe he is a descendant of one of those people from way, 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 way back then. We don't know, but somehow he comes to Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals. And there he is, right? There he is. And if we were living in that day, we would have had nothing to do with him because he's ceremonially unclean because he's a eunuch. So he's not even allowed to go in the temple. He comes all the way to Jerusalem. He can't even go in. 
He's got to stay in the court of the Gentiles because he is ceremonially unclean. And, and the book of Deuteronomy deals with it. This is the court of Israel and the court of the women. The men could go this far. If you were Gentile, you're out here. He comes all that way. He can't even go in. And we would have had nothing to do with him. He's another race. And you know the first century Jews did not like anybody that was a different color than them, different race from them. And he is a pagan leader and a pagan nation who does not honor God. Three strikes against this guy. But Philip is all over it. Because Philip has already shown that he loves people that aren't like him. And here's what's super interesting about this guy. All right, he is seated in his chariot and he is reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, this is not like today. How in the world does he get a copy of the Bible? No one has copies. Peter doesn't have a copy of the Bible. You, get, you might have one Old Testament scroll in one synagogue. All right, how does he get a book that's written 700 years before Christ? We don't know. But it's probably just a little 8 by 12 scroll that he could unroll, but 15 to 100 feet, depending how much. And he is reading out loud because that's the way they would do it back then. Semitic languages are meant to be read out loud. So he was reading out loud the prophet Isaiah. And here's what happens. I love it. The spirit told Philip, wait, how did he tell him? I don't know, but he told him. I got questions. I don't have answers, but the spirit speaks and says, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip has already shown his pattern of obedience. He doesn't just kind of mosey on up. He runs. And again, this would have been an intimidating guy. He's probably not alone. This is probably a, a, a group of people because you don't go a thousand miles with one chariot. There's not enough food. There's not enough water. This is probably an entourage that he's part of. He's a bigwig. You don't just go bigwigs across the desert all by yourself. And so for Philip to just run up to this guy would have been a little bit, but why does he do it? Because the Spirit tells him to. That's huge. And that's the second point about a witness. Not your IQ, not the qualifications, not anything else. Simple obedience and sensitive to God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit speaks. He listens. This is what Paul says is a characteristic of children of God. That last, last line in verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That you, if you are a child of God, will be led by the Holy Spirit. He is put in his place, himself in a place of obedience and submission to God. And when God speaks, he is ready. And he didn't have certainty earlier, but he does now. I get it. I know why I'm on I-16 in the middle of nowhere. It's for this guy. There's certainty now, but he's listened to the Spirit, right? And he, but here's the thing I want you to see. He doesn't even talk to him until what? Until the Spirit tells him to. Even though he sees him, he waits, and the Holy Spirit leads, and then after the Holy Spirit leads, then he talks. This is a hugely challenging thing for me because I look back at this week, and I look at how many times did I act and I got out in front of the Spirit. How many times did I come to study the Scripture? How many times did I give advice? How many times did I counsel? How many times did I talk to people and I was not listening to the Holy Spirit? How many times? I hate to tell you how many. It's embarrassing. And so just one of the things I just practiced, started trying to, to be more aware of in my life is just it, even when I'm on my bed in the morning, just before I get out, I just in my mind, Holy Spirit, please lead me today said it this morning as I woke up at 5 o'clock wide awake because I'm normally up at 6, and today I'm like, 5 o'clock, why am I awake at 5 o'clock? I'm just like, Holy Spirit, please lead me today. Just give me the words to say. Give me, give me the, the people I need to talk to. You lead me. Please help me. Because I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. I got people asking me, what, what should I do about my teenage kids? I, I don't know. I got one. 
and, and I'm learning. I, I, don't have, I don't know what to do. Well, I have this issue at my office, and I, I, I've never been in the business world, PE major. Well, my grandkids are doing this, and my kids, I, I don't know. I need this wisdom of the Holy Spirit to tell me what to say. And there is way too much chaos in our house with four kids, and one's here, and one's here, and one's here, and we're doing all this for us to run on physical power alone. We need supernatural energy in our house, I can tell you, and so do you. And so what we're talking about is just a group of people who are asking, God, the Holy Spirit, will you lead me? Will you lead me? Especially, here, this is so important, especially when you're dealing with other people. Because if you are not led by the Spirit, when you start talking to people, interacting, you are going to do more harm than good. I don't care how good your intentions are. We got this little lemon tree outside. Had like two lemons last year. I think we've like tripled it now. We got like eight lemons or something on this thing. But they're little tiny little specks in there now. And I always watch my kids when they walk by it because they look up at it and I can tell how tempted they are. They just want to reach out and grab it because it looks like a little gumball. And I'm like, no, don't you touch our lemons. These are our lemons. We're going to get a half a glass of lemonade out of those lemons right there. But they're just tempted. And I'll say, they're not ready. They're a little green right now. They're a little tiny. You can't, if you take it off, you will ruin it. It's not ripe. It hasn't been prepared. It needs time. It needs warmer air. It needs all these things. And you can't do it. And I don't care. If you rip it off, you think you can make it ripe. You can't. You can breathe on it. You can put it in the oven. You can do all, yell at it. You will not make it ripe. That's the same way with people, y'all. You think, I'll just go do this. I'm going to go, well, I'm going to tell them about it. If God is not making them ripe, then you are going to do more damage than good. You're going to do more damage than good. But I'm going to do No, you're going to kill the lemon. You wait for God to move. And then when God moves, like in Philip's case, then you talk. It's been well said, you better talk to God about man before you talk to man about God, right? Because what if God's not moving? You're going to damage the lemon. I don't care how good your intentions are. And so we want to be a group of people that just say, Holy Spirit, just lead me. Show me where you're working. Show me what you're doing. And when you are, when you are doing that simple obedience and just seeking the Spirit, I am telling you, he's going to put you in places where the Holy Spirit is going to throw you that you could never manufacture on your own. You, can't, you couldn't come up with it if you tried. I've seen it a thousand times. I'll be, all of a sudden, I'll hear, just hear this random thing on the radio, or I'll read a blog post, or I'll just read a psalm that I haven't read in a while, and that's interesting. And that afternoon, someone will say, what do you think about this? Well, you know what? If you would have asked me yesterday, I would have said, I don't know. But I just heard something this morning, and I read it, and here's, I don't know anything, but here, I got this. That's, that's a work of God. I can't manufacture that. I'm not smart enough. But the sovereign God of the universe is, and he will put you in the right place at the right time. I've heard your stories. Someone came in your doctor's office. It was like this. Someone came in my shop at this right time. I sat down to this person at the McDonald's and blah, blah, blah. And it's God's time. Philip could never in a million years manufacture this. He's in the desert, and he runs into a dude who's reading Isaiah, who worships the same God, and, and he just so happens to be in the part of Isaiah. There are 66 chapters. There's over 1,200 verses in Isaiah, and he's in the two verses that are talking about the death of the Messiah. Are you kidding me? Right? I mean, that'd be like me going down to Forsyth, and there's this guy from this closed country, and he just was at the Motel 6, and he grabbed the, the Gideon Bible on the way out, and he's there, and he's opening it up, and I'm like, what you reading? It's a Bible. Why? I don't know. But I'm reading this verse. It's like God loved the world, gave his son... I can't make anything about it. Can you help me? I think I can help you there. 
It's just so mind-boggling when we would just stop trying to manufacture fruit and stop trying to ripen lemons on our own, and we'll just let God move, and then we, when he, oh, man, God's doing that. And it may not be a John 3, 16. What it may be is this person is contemplating suicide, and you're going to sit next to them at the Chick-fil-A, and you're going to show them love, and you're going to be the first person who's done that in a long time, and ask how they're doing. That, you, that God brings this person in your life, that their husband just found out that he's got prostate cancer. Well, you know what? My dad just found out. We're, we're in the same boat. Can, can I pray for you? Right? Or maybe this person's teenager just went off to college and they're struggling. And, and it, oh, mine went off three years ago. This is how we... It's just amazing how God, in his, when we stop trying to fix it and figure it out, he will put you in the right spot at the right time if you're sensitive to him, right? And there's people like this all over the place. How do I know? Because Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. It's just the workers, right? And it's not, oh, I need better apologetics. I need all those things. Oh, I'm going to miss God's will for my life. No, this is what we want. As a church, will you just, will you just seek daily? This, this is a challenge for us, that this week that you will wake up every day and then throughout the day, because that's what praying without ceasing is. It's not three minutes in the morning and, and a lunch prayer. And a dinner. It's just constantly having running conversation with God. We just say this simply to him, Holy Spirit, please lead me. We get a 1,000 people asking the Holy Spirit in Savannah, Georgia to lead them. What do you think is going to happen? He's going to be putting you in places. You're going to be in your community group like, you talked to that person? I, I met that person on Tuesday after. Are you kidding me? You're going to see things that God is doing because we're not trying to manufacture and do, do, religious do, do, do. We'll let the Spirit of God. And if that makes me a charismatic, by the way, bring it. <laughs> bring it. Because I don't care. Because that's what the church does. It's the Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered group of God. You say, okay, Bill, I got a question for you. Shoot. I'm talking to myself here. How do I know if God the Spirit is speaking? Great question. There's no one answer. But I'll tell you this. It will always be consistent with his word. So if he said, the Spirit told me to marry these three girls. <laughs> we need to, we're going to get an appointment with you this week. All right? We're going to bring you in for counseling. No, he did not. He will not counsel apart from his will and his word. But he will use his word. He will use other Spirit-filled Christians. You might hear a, a quick three-minute Greg Laurie thing on the, on the radio. You might read a blog post from, from Lisa Turkhurst, and she sent you something. You get the daily email. It might be from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. It might just be a deep impression of God that you need to pray for someone or do something. It might be circumstances that you could just see how God has brought this together, this together, this together, this together, and it's all coming to a point. Like desert, eunuch, Isaiah, reading the gospel. That's kind of being able to see the circumstances and say, oh, I think God is moving in this. There's no one way, but I promise you this. If you see, there's way too many verses in the scripture that say, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, he will open. There's way too many verses that talk about if you are looking for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Jesus says, if you, my sheep hear my voice and they listen, they know me. My dog Milton knows me. <laughs> he hears my voice. He ignores the junk out of me, but he hears me. My sheep hear my voice, they know me. You'll know. You'll start to learn and listen. Just like, the, you remember that great, there's a great narrative in the Old Testament. Elijah, and he's on the mountain, he's depressed, and he's crying, he's feeling bad for himself. And it says God's ripping apart the mountain with a storm. But God's not in the storm. And there's an earthquake. 
God's not in the earthquake. And there's a whirlwind. God's not in the whirlwind. But then there's a gentle blowing. And he covers his face because he recognizes the voice of God. That's what, that's what Christians do. And we learn to do. And as we are witnesses, we will learn to know where God is moving and we'll listen. And we'll be in places of obedience. Philip knows God is moving. And so what does he do? He goes up to the guy. And, he, and he, we could learn great things from Philip. He doesn't get up there. You need to believe in Jesus. How does he engage him? He asks a question. What tact from this guy? He's not obnoxious. He just says, hey, that's a great, that's a great passage. Do you understand it? You want to engage a culture? Don't, don't lecture them. Don't yell at them. Don't hold signs up. Ask them questions. How are you doing? What do you think about this? Really? It's a, it's, a, it's a hard practice, but it's one I need to learn, and we all to learn to listen and ask questions. Because that's when you'll know if God is moving or not, when you're asking questions. Do you understand what you're reading? He said, I do not. How can I unless someone helps me? This is crazy. I don't get this. And notice, he invites Philip. It's not Philip inviting himself. Can I come up and talk to you about this? He invites Philip. Why? Because he's engaged him. He's been kind. He's not, he's not aggressive. Come on up. Will, will you tell me what, he, what this says? And he does. And, he, and this is what he's reading. This is the passage. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent. So it opens not its mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, it's real easy to say, oh, I, how can he not know? That's Jesus. Everyone knows that. Not really. The Jews missed it, and they had it. He's an Ethiopian. He doesn't have any context for the suffering servant of the Messiah. Here, just another practical thing. When, when a lost world asks questions or new, new, new Christians, don't be like, oh, I can't believe you don't know that. We live in a post-Christian culture. People don't know Adam and Eve from Jesus of Nazareth. It's actually quite refreshing. What I don't like is when a guy comes up to church, Bill, um, where do you land on the perichoresis? I land over there. And you land over there. That's where I land. Because that's, who cares? I love the fresh questions of a non-believer. I love of a new believer. It's refreshing. They're honest. My, my six-year-old, he's struggling with the Trinity right now. I'm like, join the club. He said some things a few weeks ago. Get him stoned in 400 AD. He's like, Jesus and, and God are twins. I'm like, no, 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 no. They're not twins. No. He's, he, he, my wife called me the other day. Tripp's got a theological question. I'm like, oh, here we go. If Jesus was born in Bethlehem, then where was he before? Great question. I love questions like that. It's raw. Right? It's honest. I don't like questions that are, that are really you know the answer to, and you just want to show how smart you are. That's, that's the kind of questions I'm like, who cares? Right? He asks questions. Who, who, who is he talking about? Who does the prophet say this about? Is, this a, is it him? Is it, is it someone else? Who? And Philip, you can just see a grin on his face. He smiles. Philip opens his mouth. Stop right there. Led, I mean, obedient, led by the Spirit, opens his mouth. Catch the order there? Simple obedience, led by the Spirit, opens mouth. What do we do? Open mouth, led by ourselves, disobedient. Right? Isn't that what we do? What's the model? Simple obedience, led by the Spirit.
then open your mouth. And he begins with this scripture, verse 7 and 8. and says, let me tell you the, what's the word? The good news. It's good news. It's not grumpy news. It's not bad news. It's not, well, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> if that's you, then just keep your mouth shut. And then we'll point him to someone who is smiling. Good news is good news. Let me tell you about Jesus. He is God. He left heaven. He became a man. He was born in Bethlehem. You have that book, Micah? Read a little later. Micah talks about that. He came as a man. He lived a perfect life. And then he died. They killed him on a cross. He was our substitute. You know that Passover lamb you've been reading about? He took our place. He bore our penalty, our sins. He, they put him in the grave, but he came out of the grave. Three days later, he's alive. He went back to heaven. He's coming back. And you can have eternal life, eunuch, if you, if you believe in him. That is good news. Right? He came to Jerusalem wanting forgiveness of sins. He left not experiencing it. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. But Jesus of Nazareth did. And so he tells him, and he uses this scripture, and he says it's good news. And, and notice again, he uses this scripture. He doesn't say, let me, what does he talk about? He says, well, let me tell you about when I was a deacon back in Jerusalem, and I was in Samaria, and I'm healing people, and there's a sorcerer, and I'm like, you're done, and I go over here. And then I'm, you know, the angel shows up and all these. He doesn't go back there. He doesn't say, let me tell you about the six-day literal creation. Are you a 24-hour creation guy? And I got my favorite author, John Piper, and let me tell you all about him. Is that where he goes? He tells him about Christ. And here's the third thing. It's not your IQ. It's not your past. It's not your church. It's not your religious experience. You point people to the Savior. Simple obedience, led by the Spirit, and then say, Here's what Jesus did. He said, well, I'm a new Christian. I don't know. Who is he? What did he do? Right? Every, every guy in the end zone has a sign, John 3, 16. The first verse we memorize. God loved the world. He gave his only son. Whoever believes has eternal life. If that's all you know, that's all you need. And people, well, I got other questions. Well, you can say, I, you know, I don't know that. I'm brand new myself. But I know this. I was dead, and now I'm alive. I was, a, I was caught in my sin. Now I've been forgiven. Right? It's very simple. He doesn't give all these illustrations. He doesn't say, well, if you throw a rock this far and you got to get the rock to Alaska if you're really going to be a Christian. He doesn't use all those. He just says the good news about Jesus. The power is in the scripture. The power is in truth. You can't ripen the lemon with your illustrations, y'all. You can't convince them with your illustrations. It's the power of the spirit using the word of the spirit that does it all. And you water, and you sow, and you water, and you may be a part of here, here, and this person's been praying for 30 years, and you don't even know, but God brings the growth. And he brings it when people point to him, right? Simple obedience, led by the Spirit, pointing people to the Savior. That's it. And so what happens? They're going along the road, and it's, clearly this is more than an eight-second conversation, all right? He, there's obviously more things going on there, because he says, hey, we got a river, we got, a, we got a water source here. What, what prevents me from being baptized? So baptism at some point came up. Why? Because in the early church, after you believed, you were baptized. Because it was a stake in the ground. I am a follower of Jesus. Jesus commanded his disciples to be baptized. And so they got down into the water. All right? This, there was no sprinkling going on. How do I know? He could have been in the chariot with his water bottle. Gotcha. You're covered. Right? They, get, they stop it. They get down into the water. He baptizes them. It pictures the death of Christ. When you go under the water, it pictures the resurrection of Christ. When you come out, and he, and he baptizes them right there. 
And, and look, this is a, it's a symbol that's for the church that Jesus commanded. And why do we do it? It doesn't wash away sins. We do it because Jesus told us. And it communicates that I am a follower of Christ. And the early church, when you, when you were baptized, that was game on. Your life is now in danger because this guy named Saul of Tarsus wants to kill you. Right? I was talking to one of our people at second service, a lady. She's from Ethiopia. Never knew this. So she's like, I, I never heard this story, and I'm from Ethiopia. And she said, my brother, she grew up in a Jewish family. She said, my brother was the first Christian in my family, and he was thrown in jail. And then I got saved in Ethiopia, closed country. And then we had, she was in the underground church. She was telling me all about it. I'm like, that's fascinating. For us, someone gets baptized, we clap, we put a white robe on them. For them, it was like the real deal. It's, it's a serious, it's a commitment, an identifying publicly, I'm following Christ. And this is, for some of y'all, this is the next step. This is that obey what's clear. What's clear is after you believe, you're baptized. Every time you see it, and we're going to see it with Saul, we're going to see it with Cornelius in chapter 10, we're going to see it with all these folks in Acts 19, we're going to see it constantly. Philippian, jailer, and that's it's the stake in the ground that some of y'all, it's time. You're like, oh, I'll do it next fall, I'll do it next, it's time. We're doing one next week. You don't have to do a class because the class just ended, all right? But you can come talk to us. We'd love for you guys to put the stake in the ground, some of y'all, and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to do it. It's time, right? So he gets baptized, and here's, here's my second favorite part, and this is the nerd Trekkie in me, all right? Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. That is awesome. I'm just sorry. This is awesome, isn't it? Some of y'all are not as nerdy as me, I know. But that is, I mean, like, he, as soon as they get out of the water, boom, he's gone. What does that even look like? I don't know. It's awesome. But here's what's also awesome. The eunuch is left alone. He's not freaked out. He's rejoicing. This is for Mr. Angry Eyebrow Guy again. We're coming back to you. He gets saved. He is joyful. Why? Because his life is all perfect now? No, he's got a thousand-mile journey. He's going to a place where he's the only Christian in his country. That's kind of a lonely deal. He's thousands of miles from all the other churches. He's still, got, he's still castrated. That's a big issue in his life. He's got all sorts of issues, but he is a believer now. He went to Jerusalem as a sinner. He came back as a saint, and he's joyful. And you know what church history says about this guy? We don't see him again in the Bible, but church history says this is the guy who took the gospel of northern Africa. This is the first missionary to Northern Africa. And Northern Africa and the early church, 2, 300, 400 BC, AD, was the Bible Belt. It was the Bible Belt. Most of the manuscripts and old Bibles that we find is from that section. All right, a lot of the creeds and all the stuff that was written was that section. This guy was the starting place. Where did it start? One eunuch, one dude who went down the road. See what God does when, when we get out of the way? And so Philip, verse 40, he finds himself at his Azotus. Can you imagine? You're just like, all of a sudden you wake up, you're like, what am I, in Dallas? Where am I at? I, uh, is this LA? What is it? Oh, there's no trees. Okay, it must be. He just shows up there, and it says he, he passed through, he preached the gospel all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And he land, we don't see Philip again for 20 years. He stays in Caesarea. He must have gotten married. He's got, next time we see him, and we'll see him about March, April-ish, he's got four daughters. They're all single. 
They're single because they're prophetesses, and no one wants to marry a prophetess because she's always going to be telling you what you're doing wrong. So, <laughs> so they're all but he's got four godly prophetess daughters, and he's been rocking it in Caesarea for 20 years. We don't see him again because in a, as of tomorrow or next week, we're going to see a new guy come to the stage who's going to be an influential part of the new church. His name is Saul. His name is Saul. But here's where we're at. Here's where we're going to land. Here's as we go to worship. Think about this. Think about what we talked about. Think about this. How much does God love you? How much does God love his elect? How far will he go for just one guy? He will send one of his big wigs 100 miles down the road just for one guy. How much does God love? And he doesn't need him. He could have sent an angel. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need CBC. But he wants you to experience the joy of being involved with what he is doing. He wants you to be a part of that. Isn't that awesome that God would invite us into that? That he would let us water, that he would let us, let us plant, and that we can all sit back together and be amazed that he brings the growth. That's, it's unfathomable sometimes you think about it. You, you who rejected him, you who are sinful, you who did all these things and he lets you in on that. It's, he uses us. It's a miracle. So here, here's what we want to pray. Just pray that we'd be a church that does these three simple things. Simple obedience, led by the Spirit, pointing to Christ. And don't sit on the sidelines. You may think you're un, I'm unqualified. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with unqualification. Don't sit on the sidelines. Be part of what God's doing. Whether you're a waterer or you're a sower, just ask him to open the doors. And if he doesn't open the doors, that's on him. You just keep doing what God calls you to do. That's what we want to be, just faithful with what he's called us to do. Day by day, wherever he's got you, boom. Lead us by the Spirit. I want to, I want to be what you want me to be. You've gifted me. You've made me unique in your image. You've given me these passions. You've given me this ability. What I have is yours. That's, that's it. That's his church. And we will step back and watch him bring growth because it's all about him. Let me pray. Why don't you guys stand and we'll sing. Father in heaven, I... Thank you again for your, your goodness to us and your Holy Spirit. I pray that he would lead us. Father, you are the only one who can move, and you're the one who opened our eyes, and you're the only one who can grow. And so we will just stand back in awe and see what you do. I pray that those in this room, that there has been clarity, but there has not been uh, a following, that today maybe that be that day. Um, that those who have been trying to be obnoxious and aggressive would cease, and that would seek that you would lead them. Father, that you would be honored here, that we would point to you through your Son and by your Spirit. Uh, we give you the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray.